I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Fu. And this has been a very interesting week for hockey, specifically as it pertains to Montreal, because they had four games, and they were very successful in almost all of them. And not to mention, there was a blockbuster trade only yesterday, yesterday morning. Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois, all the fun stuff that we'd kind of been anticipating for the past while. But we're not going to start with that. We're going to start with something that is that is burning. Ha ha ha. Funny puns. Uh, no, funny puns. No. Uh, we're going to talk about NYRFIN92360244. Uh, this is a fan of the New York Rangers who made a Twitter account for the sole purpose of defending Tony D'Angelo, the man who really needs defense, defending Tony D'Angelo from all the people on Twitter who don't know anything about hockey criticizing him. And uh, yeah, so this is uh, probably Anthony D'Angelo's burner account. But, you know, I, w- I was thinking like, the more, the more I thought about it, the more I really looked at it, it kind of seems like maybe it's a little bit too on the nose. And it might be like a Jack Maxwell situation where someone made it. Remember that? Someone made the parody uh, of like a Eugene Melnick burner that was actually not a Eugene Melnick burner. It was just someone pretending to be a Eugene Melnick burner that actually ended up on like Tim and Sid is like, we think this is Eugene Melnick's burner. But it, but it, it wasn't. So I'm not sure if this is that t- type of thing or if it's actually Tony. What are your thoughts? What's your insight on this critical piece of news? Okay. So, yeah, I really... Can't tell. I'm torn because on one hand, you're right. It's so on the nose. It's so obviously a burner, like all the way down to the fucking username uh, with all those fucking numbers, the profile pictures, which is just the fucking Rangers logo. Uh, And and you got to think like somebody is like it's so obvious. It's got to be someone acting right and a damn good acting job at that. But then on the other hand, if there's one player in the NHL, who's so stupid as to go this far and to make it this blatant that it's him, it's fucking Tony D'Angelo. So, you know, like, I honestly, I can't tell. I believe it either way. If it comes out that uh, it was really him, I wouldn't be surprised. One bit. Uh, but then if someone came out and be like, oh, haha, it was a, it's a big joke, guys, I wouldn't be surprised either. Because, uh, I mean, you look through these you look through these, uh, these tweets and it's like, man, uh, like, what, what was one of the things? Like, someone sent him, like, an IP address transmitter th- link okay, or we'll get shit? to that we'll get to that okay let's, okay. Go, All right. let's go in chronological order here uh okay, so sure. so i have a twitter thread pulled up uh from at uhi uhaha spelled u-h-e-e-u-h-a-h-a that kind of compiles uh all the important stuff from this account altogether. so one of them is says so here's some uh, apparently real person who says i have been a d'angelo supporter but he was awful tonight and then nyr fan uh, 92360244 says, replies to that, LOL, meanwhile, you're sitting at home on the couch, laughing emoji. Tony is more successful than you ever will be. Another one, we have the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Once again, the only thing stopping Tony D'Angelo from getting what he wants. And why our fan says, damn, you thought you did something here. This joke is tired, bro. And then, uh, yeah, some others. Uh, Jesse Spector, actually. A blue check mark says, yeah, the Rangers definitely lost with a, a screen grab of D'Angelo trending. And it says, real fucking funny, D-bag. Instead of taking cheap shots at a player, you should get off the couch and try and going out there yourself. Uh, so, first of all, that kind of sounds like something the actual D'Angelo account would tweet from his real account. Because uh, he, he had, had done anymore. stuff like that before. Yeah, he does not have Twitter anymore, though. Um and so, so yeah, so that's kind of where it, where it was kind of like, oh, here it is. But then here's where it gets interesting with the IP stuff you were talking about. Uh, at Nathan CSN 
says, Tony, I just checked the source of your tweet. Bro, we know it's you. Uh, with a bunch of coding stuff, uh, <laughs> numbers and letters that kind of remind me of ed tech from high school that I don't understand. And I even looked at it a little bit. I couldn't tell if it actually sh like proved anything or showed anything real or if it was just random coding. Uh, and either way, I think it's hilarious. I don't actually, I think it's even funnier if it's just like random numbers and Tony, you got Tony to bite on that anyway, because NYR fan says, what the fuck is this? And then in the next tweet, you're a liar. And then in the next tweet, how did you do this? So, so it seems like, I don't know. I feel like, is Tony really that stupid that he would say, how do you do this? If you were tr still trying to uphold his identity. And then I think someone actually found the IP address and uh, the account is in Pittsburgh, and the Rangers were in Pittsburgh at the time of the tweet. So uh, it seems maybe that's just like a Penguins fan who's dunking on D'Angelo, and like just D'Angelo happened to be on the mind because the Rangers just played the Penguins. That seems like idea, something that could have yeah. happened. But totally it seems possible. like I don't know. I, that's it's possible, but it seems like we're kind of stretching here. I would give it about a, a an eighty percent chance that this is Tony. Wow, eighty percent—that's pretty high. I put it down around sixty. I think, I think we might have. Uh, I think we might have found him because, uh, man, such a violent response to the to the first tweet, where with the with the fancy coding and all that. And apparently, I think I saw somewhere that that's all a bunch of bullshit and just try to bait uh, the account. And then like the ferocity at which he comes back, you know, like what the fuck is this? You're a liar. And how, how did, did you do, you do this? this? <laughs> it's uh. It's something else, man. And then obviously you have the thing, you have the fact that it's located in Pittsburgh. That's what the uh, the address is, man. Uh, you know, it really might be. I think we've seen like in basketball, that's what comes to mind, like where people have actually been exposed for having burners. Um, and, you know, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, the way this account is tweeting sure makes it, uh, you know, doesn't make it seem impossible. So, you know, I, will we ever know? Will we ever know? I don't think so, right? Unless someone like I don't think comes so. out and admits that it wasn't. No, I. Okay. So in a yeah. couple weeks, we'll have forgotten by this, but uh, that nice little thing on the timeline going on. Yeah, one interesting thing uh, was people are going through his likes also, and the account had liked some tweets that were like because uh, people I think like they put Tony D'Angelo in the shootout and he missed or something, and. Someone was like, "Oh yeah, blame Tony. Don't blame Shesterkin for biting on the first shot or for or Zabanajad for a bad move." And the burner account actually liked that tweet and then stuff like, "Oh, Jacob Truba stealing D'Angelo's salary," and the account actually liked that tweet. Uh, I don't know which direction that's an evidence for. I I don't think it's at all out of the realm of possibility that D'Angelo's burner would would like tweets that try to throw his own teammates under the bus. No, no, not at all. And also, I'm looking at uh, I'm right now looking at his likes. He only has three of them, and like one of the three, the profile picture is uh Donald Trump. So uh, you know, it fits the mold. I'm just saying, you know, uh, whoever it is, if it isn't Tony D'Angelo, like big creds, big creds for coming up with something so fucking convincing, uh, that we're actually talking about it right now, and a whole bunch of people are. And it really goes to it really goes to show how little the hockey world thinks of Tony D'Angelo because uh, we look at all this bull crap and we're like, hey, who knows? Maybe he's fucking Tony D'Angelo. I'm giving it an eighty percent, a sixty percent chance it's actually him. Uh, just complete clown. And uh, you know, is the account still up? Yeah, it's still up. 
I'm looking. I'm trying to search for it, and I can't find it. Uh, I don't know if I keep like am I making a typo or something, because he had he said other stuff like just for the record, I'm not Tony D'Angelo, and like um, why does everyone keep asking you about Olive Garden and stuff like this? That really <laughs> kind of started to to make it seem like a parody. Uh, six o two four four. Uh, okay, yeah, okay, I got it. I think I just put zero two two four or something. I don't know. And then, okay, here's here's the one that kind of really made me think. Hmm, maybe that's not him. Was for the people commenting and messaging me. You know, Guido is a racial slur, right? <laughs> I was like, that is that must be a joke. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe eighty was a bit too high. Maybe maybe he believes that though. Like I don't fucking know. Like this guy's a total clown. All his beliefs are out of whack, and so you know. It, it kind of seems ironic, uh, but maybe it's not. And then, like, the other tweet that he has, my account is currently being hacked at Twitter. First, losers went in and changed my account name, bio, tweets, etc. Now I can't reply to direct messages. Censorship? Question mark, question yeah. mark, at Jack. At Jack. Who I think is the, the, twi- the head of Twitter or some shit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that last bit. Censorship? Question mark, question mark. Nice touch. If this isn't Tony D'Angelo, fucking nice touch, whoever it is, whoever's running this thing. Uh, and yeah, it's a work of art. Let me see who he's following. He's following Dan Rosen, Larry Brooks. So he's following a bunch of, uh, he follows the Rangers. He follows the NHLPA. Like, come on. Come on. It's just like, yeah, is, is it, it's too obvious, right? Like he's following the NHLPA and the Rangers. Uh, and then a bunch of like, Rangers beat writers. Um, wow. Is, does well, Brendan Lemire still have Twitter? Because he's not following Brendan Lemire. So, like, you know. I think I, I saw know. someone try to, like, get the account to bite uh, by making a fake account and DMing NYR fan and being like, hey, Tony, it's Brendan. Ha 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 ha. Nice burner <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah. But Tony didn't, or NYR fan, I guess we'll call them, didn't respond. Uh, but then, I saw a couple tries at that of someone being like, Oh man, there was one really funny one that was like, uh, "Hey, uh, uh, I can help you convince people that you're not Tony. You just have to tell me your real name." And NYR fan was like, "No, there's a reason I'm anonymous. I'm not telling anyone my name, so it didn't work." But people tried. People are trying to to really crack the case here. We'll keep you updated yeah. as the the story unfolds. But the account hasn't tweeted in uh, almost, uh, I think it's been 19 hours since the last tweet. Okay, so maybe he's uh, maybe he's he's ditched this one. Got got too close to getting exposed, and there's a, he's already made a second burner account. Uh, so I'll leave it to the uh, NYR fan nine two three six zero two four five. Exactly, and uh, I'll leave it to the Twitter detectives to find this one. Uh, but uh, is wow, this is fantastic. All right, okay, eleven minutes in, enough on uh, Tony D'Angelo Habs games. We had four this week, four Ooh. this week. Super fun, and they were all super great and awesome. Even the shootout loss was a wild time and lots of fun. I uh, just wish there were no shootouts. Um, anyway, so uh, almost a week ago now against the Oilers. It was the second game against the Oilers. A 3-1 victory. Um, they had that 3-0 lead. Alexander, uh, well, okay, before I finish that name, on the TSN broadcast, I think it was, uh, what's the guy's name, Dave Mudrick? Yeah, Dave Mudrick uh, said apparently he had asked them to pronounce his name Romanov. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. But I guess uh, most Russian names with three syllables, uh, the emphasis is usually on the second one, so that makes sense. I was like, okay, so I guess we're all going to have to get used to calling him Romanov now. And then they stopped. I think it was the same broadcaster. All three games the rest of the week, he was just Romanov again. So I'm not really sure what to do. 
Uh, I'll stick with I'll stick with Romanov for now, maybe, uh, since the TSN went back to that and no one seemed to mention it again. Uh, but if it is Romanov, then we'll we'll switch to that. Anyway, he scored his first goal and that was super fun. It was awesome. He looks he looks good as ever throughout these first six games. Uh, and then against the Canucks, they lose that wild game in the shootout, six to five, and then kind of dominate on Thursday and last night on Saturday against the Canucks. Do not look very good, much like the Oilers. It looks like a, a defensive shit show and bad goaltending as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I think for a lot of the games this, this season, uh, because you have a bunch of bad teams in this North Division, as we said, North Division is probably like the easy, it's like best placement possible for the Habs. And yeah, it's up to it's up to them to take care of business. And so far, that's exactly what they've done. Uh, you know, I didn't really realize until last night that they were on like a whole ass six game road trip and that they haven't played at home yet. But uh, hey, uh, they're what four zero and two. They haven't lost in regulation yet. Picked up points in every single game. Uh, and as you said, even the losses, they've been fun. And that's like that's like what we've been pining for for years now. When this team, like even just last year. The team fucking sucks. Watching them sucks because they're boring and they're bad. Um, but this game, uh, this team this year, uh, they've come out completely flying out of the gate. And yeah, you, you it's setting the whole hockey world alight. You know, just uh, everybody's watching the Habs game now nowadays. Uh, you know, when they like it was like the talk of the town because this team is so exciting. They're fast, and you know they take advantage of of uh, when the opponent makes mistakes. Oh, bounce out! You got these breakaways all over left and right, left and right, and they're scoring on them. Uh, it's just a really, really fun team to watch. And on top of that, they just have to be good. Uh, better than all these Canadian teams that they've played. Uh, and I would say even better than the Leafs, uh, even if they lost that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it just it feels great. And this week here, these four games, really solidified it. Uh, they look like the cream of the crop in the North Division. Yeah, it looks like, in terms of the whole Canadian Division... At this point, it seems like maybe it isn't as much of a middle group as we thought, because I feel like Edmonton and Vancouver are kind of in like the class above Ottawa, and then we have Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary. Kind, of, I feel like it wouldn't be so surprising if before long, if things keep trending the way they are, uh, that kind of solidifies itself as a top four, and maybe there aren't, and maybe like last minute, uh, or tight battles for playoff spots or anything. I mean, the Oilers could always pick it up again. I have less faith in the in the Canucks. But like that's kind of the way it, it looks right now. Um, Montreal. Yeah. If if we're gonna if we're gonna shout out specific players, Toffoli has got to be first. Uh, Tyler Toffoli scored a hat trick in the shootout loss to Vancouver on Wednesday. And he scored two more goals the next night. He was leading the league or tied for the league lead in scoring along with Jeff Petrie. A bunch of players had seven points for uh for like a day there. Uh, and he really he has like we I think I talked last week what about how like um. Claude Julien, maybe consider moving to Foley to the right wing like he's used to. Uh, I guess maybe Claude was, it was like, oh, no, keep him there. Keep him on the left. Uh, and it totally worked. It totally worked. Uh, Armia was concussed, and then Corey Perry came into the lineup um, last night. I, we'll talk about Corey Perry in a minute. Uh, but uh, sticking on, on to Foley, uh, one thing he's been known for throughout his career is getting lots of scoring chances and not capitalizing on them as much as you would expect him to. And someone pointed out kind of funny how like, wow, Montreal, who's also very much known for that or has been for the past couple of years, that's the place to fully comes to, to to rectify his problem. But then like last night, he missed a wide open net and like I think hit a post. So maybe back to his normal self. But I, I think he's going to, I think he's going to score more in the near future. Yeah. I mean, if these last few games have been any, any indication, 
a total hit. I mean, obviously, I think he had a little going playing against his old team, like walking three times in four games. Because, uh, yeah, seemed to have lit a fire under him. We talked about how, like, I think last week we talked about how he left a little to be desired in the first couple games. But, uh, yeah, man, he's a star of the show. Uh, points leader in the NHL, goals leader in the NHL, obviously extremely early and boosted by the fact that he had two tremendous games. But, uh, yeah, this guy like a fantastic little stretch. And you love to see it for a guy. You know, all these new acquisitions, that's what everybody's talking about with Bergeron, uh coming into the season. And it's carried over because, uh, frankly, for all the, the shit we kind of gave him all offseason, so far, obviously very early going. Uh, they've all kind of hit, except maybe, you know, the noted exception, Joel Edmondson. But uh, everybody else has been seriously clicking. And yeah, they've all seemed to have been gelling pretty quickly. And Toffoli was kind of the exception going into after that first week, first couple of games. But he's really hit it off, obviously. And yeah, that third line, or just he's playing next to Kakaniemi. And then uh, whoever's on the right wing, it looks lethal. And it's the Habs, clearly the Habs strength this season is their depth. And not only, like, throughout the roster, like, on game days, but obviously, you know, unfortunate injury to Armia. We might talk about that in a bit. But, yeah, Corey Perry steps in. Absolutely fantastic on that third line. And, uh, yeah, looks at the Foley. Very enthusiastic again. Hell, yeah. I don't know if this is on the Habs or if it's maybe on the opponents that they played as of late. All five of their last games have been against Vancouver and Edmonton, who we've pointed out are very bad defensively. But there have been a lot of breakaways and odd man rushes uh, in the Canadians' favor over the past uh, couple games, five games or so. Way more than I remember happening in years past. Do you think that's more the Canadians or more on the teams they're playing, or is it like a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both, honestly. I think the Habs team is just better than teams we've seen in the past. They're faster, and they're just, they take, they, you know, they're just smarter, take, you know, more advantage of their opportunities. But uh, also, like, the two teams, as we've said, complete fucking train wreck. Uh, like a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, you know, breakaway passes, I mean, great on the hats for executing them, but like the guys are completely wide open, atrocious changes by the Oilers and the, and the Canucks. And you got to wonder like what the hell is going on. It might be just the early season or whatever it is, but, uh, I think it's equal. Honestly, I think it's more the opponents because holy crap, like a good defensive team would not leave a guy that wide open, uh, on their own blue line. You know what I mean? Uh, so but, you know, you got to take advantage of those things. And you certainly can't blame the Hats for doing that. And so uh, definitely credit them. So I think it's a bit of both. But uh, you asked me to pick one. I think it's the fact that, like, the Oilers and the Canucks, two notable, notably awful defenses. And they're just, you know, going to show that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we're talking about, let's talk about the Canucks for a second and their goaltending situation. Uh, because Braden Holtby has been not that great. He's been trending downward the past couple seasons. And it looks like that downward trend... Uh, has kind of continued, at least in the early going here. But still, if we're looking at, at Thatcher Demko from that Thursday night game, Holtby was miles better because Thatcher Demko looked awful. He did not look even close to what he was like in those couple games against Vegas in the bubble, which we've kind of been saying, you know, <coughs> sorry, um, small sample size, true for any player you should be concerned about it, especially a goalie. Uh, just random things can happen all the time that are not at all indicative of what's going to happen in the long run. And it looks like those three games with Thatcher Demko in the bubble were a total fluke because uh, he doesn't look good. He doesn't look at all like a goalie of the future. I know once this is a small sample size too, but this is kind of more 
I th- I would say this is closer to the kind of goalie he had been throughout his career of just like being a man backup. And now they're kind of trying to get him into more of a one A one B role with um with Braden Holpe. And uh, neither one of them have been that impressive at all so far. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the importance of bigger sample sizes. Braden Holtby's fucking three-year sample size has been worse and worse, as you said. And so, like, he looks terrible, too. Like, what was that goal? I think it was the Foley. I think it was the second goal the Habs scored. Uh, like, he, it was like a soft-ass shot, and it went, like, right through his legs. And you're like, I think Holtby was, like, anticipating the pass or some shit. But it was, a, like, it was a mediocre shot, went right through his fucking legs. And so, uh, you know, not good. And Vancouver, he made a mistake. I don't know why, uh, like, like the bets they've made were not smart bets for goaltending heading into the season. Uh, you bet on Thatcher Demko in that tiny-ass sample size. Uh, like, obviously, he played great. But, yeah, it was just a few games in the playoffs. And you bet on fucking Braden Holpe, who's been getting worse and worse and worse every year. So, like, like can you really... Like, this was, statistically, the likely thing to happen, especially with, like how bad the bottom end of this roster is, how bad their defense is. Uh, like, these guys were not going to get any sort of support. You lose a Vezina caliber kind of goalie last year with Jacob, this year, like in the offseason with Jacob Markstrom. Like, this was a recipe for disaster. And obviously, we've talked about it a lot with the Canucks. It goes back to the fact that their salary cap situation sucks ass. Um, but, you know, that, like, you could, like, if you were to make a prediction about the Canucks goaltending heading into the season, this will kind of be it, right? Uh, it was either Demko continuing to stretch, uh, but that, like, as you said, small sample size, or these guys continue to be what they've been for the last few years. And that's not enough for this Vancouver team because they're just front-loaded, and that's it. There's nothing in terms of depth. Yeah, the Canucks, uh, I think, okay, it's funny because last year, like, Canucks fans were talking all about how great Markstrom was. And I think... Well, uh, we definitely see now that he masked a lot of their defensive shortcomings. Even though they did lose a couple defensemen, I think you look at the defense on paper, it's about as good as it was last year. Goaltending, that's really where, where the problem is uh, because Markstrom to Holpe is a massive downgrade. We see especially now uh, how good Markstrom was last year. Uh, and how, I, I honestly still think he should have been nominated for the Vezina. I don't know if I said that at the, at the time. But now I see maybe he should have been. Um, I think uh, Markstrom actually shut out the Canucks about a week ago, playing for the Flames. Yeah, he did. 3 nothing. And now in, after that, in the last four games, the Canucks have given up 22 goals. 5-5-7-5. Five, five, five. It's a disaster. I think they're quite considerably uh, last in the league at this point in terms of goals against per game. And, I mean, yeah, when you have these two goalies, neither of them are very good. Uh, and trades are harder to make than ever. Like, no one's trading a starting goalie ever, pretty much. Uh, you know, I don't, it's kind of hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel for them unless, you know, Demko gets, goes on a hot streak again. And maybe he's this, maybe giving up seven goals is the fluke. Who knows? You never know. Yeah. It's just, I don't see it rectifying itself. Uh, yep. even, and, and on top of that, you have like Pedersen who scored a goal last night, but like before that was on a slump. And if your top guys are on a slump and that happens, right. For every player, um, like then you're fucked. Cause there's nobody behind them that, that can provide that secondary scoring. That's the thing. That's what's so good about the Habs this year, right? It's their depth. Uh, you're not leaning on any line in particular like they have in past years. And so you got to, you know, get Brendan Gallagher. Took a while to get his first goal. And, like, Philip Dano has been all right uh, offensively. Uh, then, But you got all sorts of other dudes who are scoring left and right. The Canucks do not have that. And, you know, frankly, aside from, like, those the top six, they have nothing to really... They have nothing. And so then you look at the, the North. I, like, you just thought you talked about it a bit earlier. I think absolutely they're in that, you know... 
almost near bottom tier. Obviously, Ottawa is worse than everybody else here. Uh, but you know, even you know, relative to expectations, Ottawa has been fine uh, too. They're not, they haven't been a complete train wreck. But uh, you know, is the Vancouver's there? It seems to be pretty set. Uh, you know, there's one team that. So so, how I see the North right now is I think Montreal is the best team there. And then I follow them with a you know Toronto and Calgary. I think two and three. And you know I'm not I'm not sold on the Jets yet. I think that fourth spot uh, is up for grabs between the Oilers and the Jets. And then the Jets have a good record right now because they fucking played the Senators three times in a row. Uh, and you know, credit to them for taking care of business. But you, it was the Sens for crying out loud. And everybody's gonna be playing the Sens like ten times. Uh, so you know, not completely sold on them just yet for the Jets. Uh, so you know, I think I think that fourth place spot is up for grabs. But I don't think Vancouver, I don't see Vancouver making the playoffs because this team, frankly, isn't just very good. And you know, it's Jim Benning's to blame for that. This guy, this guy needs to be fired immediately because uh, it's a complete fucking train wreck. Yeah. Uh, every time we talk about the Canucks and any problems surrounding them, it does come back to that for good reason. Jakob Markstrom now with Calgary is making six million AAV. You know who else is making six million AAV? Louis Erickson. You know who else is making six million AAV? Tyler Myers. You know who else is making six million AAV? Roussel and Beagle combined, at least for another year after this. So I mean, you look at it that way. Those that's those are like four mistakes that if you remove any one or two of those, you easily hold on to Jakob Markstrom, your superstar goalie, and instead now you have Braden Holpe flailing his arms around. Uh, I'm I just I was on the Canucks page to look at the scores of their recent games, and since their next opponent is the Sens, I see the Sens like where it says scouting report. Do you know who the leading scorer is on Ottawa right now? Uh, I'm gonna say Drake Patherson. With five assists in five games, Nikita Zaitsev is a point a game player, oh leading uh, scorer on the Sens. Crazy, what a stud! The Leafs completely botched it by trading him away. Blew it. They blew it. Kidding, they didn't blow it. Uh, Nikita Zaitsev remains bad despite what the stats say. Stop looking at the numbers, nerd. Watch the games. Zaitsev sucks. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, Habs, uh, any other final thoughts? Oh, we, we should talk about Corey Perry. I wanted to talk about him as well. Because uh, Armia, of course, uh, I think Tyler Myers should have gotten a suspension for that hit. If we want to talk about that, he got the five minute major. It was nice because he deserved it. I think it should have gotten suspended as well for at least a game. Uh, and people. Uh, especially, you know, George Peros. Well, maybe, I don't know what he said about it, but, like, he's a terrible uh, head of player safety, as we've talked about a couple times. Uh, but people come to Tyler Myers' offense, since he's extremely tall, it's harder for him to avoid uh, hitting the head on hits that, if it were a shorter player, would be shoulder-to-shoulder or would be clean. And to that, I say, too bad, Tyler Myers. Uh, the point isn't to, you know, go through the motions. The point is to avoid hitting the head. So if you're taller, you're just going to have to live with it and you're going to have to adjust and avoid hitting players' heads. And I think most people would be on my side for that. I don't think it's that controversial, but he didn't get suspended. If you have any thoughts on the hit before we talk about the uh, the, the lineup replacement. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, come on. That is so fucking dirty. Uh, it's your textbook hit to the head. Uh, completely blindside hit to the head too. And, you know, Armia having like basically a career night, four points. And, you know, I could make the argument that Tyler Myers, with, like, three minutes left in the game, is going out here, like, trying to exact some, you know, headhunting revenge. And, you know, and that is just, be, you know, obviously that's speculation. But that certainly wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Now, and they're already losing, like, 7-3, to 6-3, to three or whatever it was. And, you know, it's just, you look at the hit itself in a vacuum, it's, it's dirty as hell. Uh, it's just, there's no question about it. And you got to wonder, like, what, what, what's... 
deserving of a suspension at this point uh, in terms of hit to the head if that isn't. I mean, this guy clearly, uh, the head was the primary source of contact. Uh, and then he like finished upwards. And like, like, what are you looking at here, George Peros? Uh, and yeah, we absolutely we need to replace the guy uh, because clearly he has that enforcer mentality because that's exactly what he was when he was in the league. Uh, let's replace him with a former skill guy who understands the impact of this kind of thing on a player. Because now, you know, Yoel Armia out indefinitely, and I think he's concussed. And that has, you know, its own long-term impacts for him as a person, you know, uh, in terms of his life, uh, just moving forward. And so it's it's completely disgusting. Uh, obviously, right call on the ice for the five-minute major. But should have been suspended, man. Should have been suspended. What? I think, like, give him five games. I don't care. Throw the book at him. And the NHL needs to be stricter with, frankly, all kind of suspensions when it comes to, uh, like, this kind of stuff where it's clearly dirty. Uh, you might even argue for an intent to injure. You know, another thing that they were talking about around the league was, you know, cross-checks, uh, which I think is even dumber. Because cross checks are literally a penalty in the rule book, except sometimes the refs decide, nah, we're good. We're not going to call it. And then what happens is, you know, you got these guys uh, cross checking uh, star players left and right. And then, you know, it makes the game less exciting because then these star players get injured. I think Matthews is out for a game. And, uh, you know, it just, it fucking sucks. And so the NHL needs to clamp down on all of this. Uh, I'm not even going to go on my rant about the refereeing, I guess, uh, with the Habs and the Canucks. It just felt like they did not know what they were doing in all three of the games. Uh, but uh, you need to clean it up here. I understand it's the early season, but you need to clean it up. It's a complete clown show when it comes to this this uh, hit-to-the-head stuff and even just, like, the cross-checking and all that. And, you know, game to game, they look completely incompetent. Uh, yeah, they should have been suspended, man. Tyler Myers should have been suspended. I don't think there was any question about it. I would have given multiple games. Yeah, when I say say one game, I'm saying that's what I was hoping for. If I were in charge, would have been well more than that. Uh, I, I I don't know if you remember when George Paris was hired as head of player department of player safety a few years back. The rationale that I recall behind it was, oh, this is a guy who is you know tough guy enforcer, whatever you want to call it, and so he's gonna he's gonna really understand the mindset of of these players who are you know making dirty hits. And apparently, what that meant is he empathizes with them. And he says, oh, yeah, that was me, bro. I've got your back. I got your back. Uh, no suspension for you, uh, which is the absolute worst possible thing you could have. Uh, so this is honestly, yeah, I can't think of uh, of anyone worse, of anyone worse for, for this job than George Peros. Obviously, that's kind of an exaggeration. But honestly, if you pick any other player from the from that era of playing, which wasn't that long ago, he only retired like about six or seven years ago or so. To pick any other player out of a hat, I would guarantee they'll do a better job than Enforcer Man, Fighter Man, George Paris, who was just a, a trivia answer last week for fighting twice and playing under five minutes in uh, a season opener in like 2013 or 2014. So, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. And when I complain about refereeing, I tend not to do like, you know, uh, calls, specific calls, like, was that tripping? Was that hooking? Was that a missed call? I don't really care about that stuff, to be honest. Like, stuff gets missed. It doesn't bother me too much. I try not to get bothered by that. Uh, what does bother me is the systemic stuff that we're talking about, uh, like the Department of Player Safety, and like this this cross-checking issue you're bringing up. Uh, because when you have a star player like Austin Matthews missing time due to upper body soreness, and there was a lot of speculation that it was because of a combination of cross-checks from guys like Shea Weber, Ben Sherratt, Thomas Shabbat, uh, that, that, that's really bad. That's really bad for the sport as a whole. 
And so I don't know what it's going to take for the referees to start calling the cross checks. Probably some sort of, of of outcry from the players, but I guess they don't seem to mind because for everyone who's uh who this isn't good for, like star players like Austin Matthews, you have someone like Ben Sherratt or Zdeno Chara, who's that's pretty much their only thing, the only reason they, or maybe not as, as much for Ben Sherratt. But someone like Joel Edmondson, I guess it applies for. One of the big reasons they stay around is because they're big and tough and mean in front of the net, and they're allowed to cross-check and break the rules. So, Yeah, I mean, you're using your stick as a weapon, uh, and it's in the rule book. That's the stupidest thing. It's that we're not even asking for a rule change. We're just, we're just saying, call the fucking rule book, and, uh, you know, it's not happening. Anyways, on to Greener Pastures. I think you wanted to move to uh, Armia's replacement last night. Yes. Uh, Corey Perry. He looked Corey like Perry. a natural out there. Yeah. <laughs> natural. Yeah. It looks like he's done this before or something. He scored mm-hmm. 50 goals in 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. At the beginning of the game, uh, he kind of, I don't know, he looked a little shaky, a little nervy. I don't like a 13th forward, made a couple of, uh, I don't know, shaky plays. But then he really got going. He really got into a groove with Kanyemi and, uh, and Toffoli, made a couple of really nice plays, including uh, scoring a goal, bounced off a uh, Canucks defenseman, I believe. Uh, off of Levy, I think it was. Uh, had some takeaways. He looked great. He he looked he looked like he totally belongs, and that's the ideal kind of taxi squad depth you want to have is someone who should be in the lineup anyway and would be in the lineup on a lot of other teams. So we can just slide right in there without a hitch. And I think should should it should we come to it? I think Froelich. I think Ryan Paling. I know Jordan Wheel because he's been a regular on this team. Uh, for the past couple of years now, any of them, you have to throw them into the lineup on a moment's notice. I don't really bat an eye, and I have confidence that they'll slide in perfectly. Yeah, and that's absolutely fantastic. You got to give Mark Burns great credit. Uh, and yeah, we were surprised Corey Perry made it through waivers. Uh, clearly, for the right reasons here, because uh, I mean, you put him on waivers now, probably gets picked up. I don't think we need to put him on waivers anymore, right? Because uh, he's like an emergency call up or whatever it is. But uh, yeah. Look, looks looks the part, man, and uh, he looked like he was he was dangerous. He was dangerous every time he was on the ice. And for a guy who is a 13th forward, uh, bottom six player at this point, that's all you can ask for. He was dangerous offensively. Looked again, as you said, clicking with his line mates. Uh, and yeah, you you trust you absolutely trust the depth. And if the Habs do get bit by the uh, injury bug, which they have the last couple of years, uh, I have uh, faith as you do. In the taxi squad, dude, I think, yeah, absolutely, that has one of the have uh, one of the best taxi squads in the league. Mm-hmm. So actually, when, once you clear waivers, you're waiver exempt automatically for the next thirty days. So Perry can go up and down safely uh, till probably I think about February thirteenth was that the day you went on or February twelfth. I'm pretty sure that's uh, that's the rule. That's how it works there. So uh, the Habs they're done their six game road trip. And they are off till Thursday now, so we're only going to have two games next week to talk about, both against the Flames, both at home. Uh, I think, well, considering, yeah, pro- this will be definitely their toughest test they've had since their season opener, I think, with, uh, you know, a good goalie and competent defense on the Calgary Flames. So definitely interested to see how that one goes. Now, I think, unless you have any final thoughts on Montreal and their games and their situation, is it time to move on to the trade? You know what? I want to I wanna shout out a couple people. Actually, one in particular. Uh, who made a season, a Habs debut, another newcomer, uh, and who played two games this week, uh, Jake Allen, you know? Ah. Uh, new dude, and looked great against the Oilers, looked solid in uh, against the Canucks, and it's what you're looking for in a backup, right? Especially one that you're paying a whole chunk of cash for. Uh, 
you know, picks up two wins. Look confident back there. You put faith in him. And uh, he pulls out a couple wins. You'll have to see it. And look, he played two out of four games this week. That's a great sign in terms of giving Carey Price rest. And I mean, the Habs look great in front of him. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to shout him out. Looks great. And uh, another new cover for Bergevin, who has uh, balled out, so to speak. Yeah, Jake Allen's definitely met expectations this week. And yeah, one final one final player to shout out. Joel Edmondson scored his first as a Hab uh, all the way from down to the defensive end. He, he shot it into the empty net. Big snipe uh, last night against the Canucks. And you know what player I thought of when I saw that? I, I thought it was very reminiscent of Hal Gill. For whatever reason, I remember in the, like 2012 or something, Hal Gill from like behind his own goal line uh, shot the puck into an empty net against the Islanders or something like that. Reminded me a lot of that. Joel Edmondson giving me Hal Gill vibes. All right. Uh, apparently, he's been doing better lately. Uh, maybe he just needed time to gel. We're both obviously not very high on him. But, uh, hey, doesn't mean we're cheering against the guy, right? I'll be happy to eat shit if he's a, if he's a productive member of the team. Anyways. Hey, I haven't uh, noticed him as much the past couple yeah, of exactly. games. Which I think is a good sign. Yeah, I haven't pointed to the screen and been like, pylon. Uh, you know, it's been a couple games. So uh, that's a good thing. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, we, do we move to the big uh, league news of the week? Yeah, big trade. Big trade. All right. So this has kind trade. of been, this has been shaping up for a while. Pierre-Luc Dubois wanted out. Uh, even if the trade hadn't happened this week, I had in my notes ready to talk about how badly Pierre-Luc Dubois had been playing, how disinterested he looked. We saw, I think in his last game was a blue jacket against uh, the Lightning, I believe it was. He just had this, this one shift that we just looked totally disinterested, barely skating. There was this puck battle that he was barely even trying. He was just doing nothing. And Tortorella benched him for, I'm pretty sure, all of the second and third period. And that was how he ended his Blue Jackets tenure. So it was really only a matter of time there. Patrick Laine kind of been a saga there for a while in Winnipeg of him wanting out, uh, wanting to play with Shifley, and they don't play with Shifley as much as he wants. Um, so two players who actually went back-to-back second and third overall in the 2016 draft, unhappy with their situations. And I think a couple weeks ago, people started speculating like, oh, there might, this, there might be a match here between these teams. The Jets have been on the lookout for a second-line center forever, and the Blue Jackets have never been able to score that much, uh, especially after Panarin left. Uh, they've kind of been looking for a, an offensive weapon. And so it was kind of a match here. Obviously, Montreal was reportedly Dubois' preferred destination. I personally, I would never really got my hopes up for that because uh, Kekalina was asking for the likes of you know someone like Suzuki or Kakanyemi or Romanov, and I and I would be have been totally shocked if Bergevin bid on on any of those three players. So what the deal the deal we have here the deal we have is Columbus trades Pierre Luc Dubois and a third round pick to Winnipeg for Patrick Laine and another player who had been unsigned and had asked for a trade, Jack Roslovic. This is a a weird deal a weird deal. Um, I'll go first with my thoughts. On paper, I think the value is significantly in Columbus's favor. I think Patrick Laine is a fair amount better than Pierre-Luc Dubois. And a lot of that is because of the upside. And I mean, we, 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 like he scored 30 goals a couple years, and people called it a down year. Uh, so that should give you some insight. He was almost a point a game last year. People were talking like, we just hasn't been up to his, his rookie year standards. He's been great. And we saw in the first game, he scored two goals and an assist again, and, and uh, then I think he got injured. But uh, but Patrick Laine is already a star player, and I just think he's a tier above Dubois. The reason that it kind of rubs people like, hmm, 
that's it's kind of weird is because Columbus having, you know, John Tortorella as their coach. This was one reason you kind of thought Columbus, like, what are you doing? Is that that coach and that player are polar opposites, won't mesh at all. And Columbus just won't be able to get enough value out of Patrick Laine uh, as much as, you know, another team potentially would have. So, I mean, if you do have that problem as a team, maybe you should fire your coach. But I guess that's a separate conversation. I'll let you take it away now. All right. Okay, so yeah, I think it's I think it's hilarious that like three guys, all three guys involved in the trade, were all like pretty unhappy and were clearly on their way out. So uh, I think it's a funny fit that way. You know, you don't really see it happen in the NHL, and also you know it's kind of like a hockey trade, uh, which we also don't really see in the NHL, where we have like you know usually you sell a star player and you get a bunch of like future assets, first round picks, star prospects, and all that. Here we got a couple of you know ready made players, second and third overall in the same draft. Uh, getting traded for each other, and both of them are pretty discontent. Uh, I think, yeah, it's just hell entertaining. We see this kind of stuff all over the place in the NBA, uh, and frankly, the NHL would do uh, would be better off with more of these kind of trades. But that's beside the point. Uh, you know, I like this trade better for Winnipeg, uh, and and I, even I think the value on paper, I think it's closer than you say it is. I understand. Line A is a yeah, sure, we'll say star player, but uh, I think he was a star player in his own right. Uh, first of all, I think. Roslovic is uh, an auxiliary player. I don't. I don't put much. Uh, you know, uh, what stock uh, value stock into him. Uh, and the same with a third round pick. Uh, but uh, look, Dubois. First of all, plays a much more valuable position. Plays center. Uh, he's you know could, works out plenty great in a one C role. Uh, and on Winnipeg, who knows? He might even be the two C behind Scheifele. So that's like a great one two punch on its own. But like line is a winger. He's complete garbo defensively. Uh, so, you know, that's a big thing. Dubois plays great all over the ice when he's engaged. And that's that's one big concern I have with Dubois. Uh, I think he's happy right now. He seems very happy in Winnipeg. But, like, what happens when he's less happy? Because, uh, what, he wanted to play in a bigger market? Well, sorry. He actually went to a smaller market, right, uh, with Winnipeg. So that's kind of funny. But, uh, you know, look, this, this whole, uh, he looks like the shift, capital S, the shift where he got benched and that was his last shift to Columbus. That's just concerning as hell. Right? Uh, like, if he's unhappy, he's just going to start playing like garbage all of a sudden. Like, you certainly, that's certainly a concern. I'm not taking that off the table. But uh, I just think, you know, position wise and the fact that he's already a bona fide stud uh, and he plays the great two way game, I think, I think the value is much closer. In fact, you know, maybe I even, I think it's about even. I think it's about even in terms of on paper value, but in terms of fit, I think Winnipeg wins this one outright. I don't even think it's close for the reasons that you mentioned. Because, uh, look, John Tortorella is the problem. That's the one word or two word problem that I have. It's John Tortorella because, you know, you looked at how he clearly, as much as both parties will, will deny it, clearly he wore out uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, uh, and just as he has a plenty of other star players, his defensive system is not conducive to offense as a whole. Uh, and that's what pa- Patrick Laine is, uh, is all about. And clearly Torts preaches defense, defense, and the system. Line A is the polar opposite of that guy. And for a guy who's already unhappy with his old team, I think it's only a matter of time before he gets alienated on his new team. And we see him on his way out. And, you know, how many times can Kekalainen and get good value for a player who's unhappy and asking for a trade? I don't know. Uh, and But, you know, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's a complete negative. Uh, if I think Line A still needs to take another step. And if he does, maybe he becomes... Uh, 
a transcendental talent, so to speak, which Columbus desperately needs, by the way, uh, because, uh, you know, you know, you saw how successful Panarin was. But they don't have anybody like him anymore. And so uh, in terms of scoring. So I, I like it for both teams. I really do like it for both teams, but I think the fit is much better with Winnipeg. And that's what I give them the edge. Yeah, the funny thing with Winnipeg and that fit you're talking about is that Winnipeg has a, a rich history of players asking to leave. Uh, most recently, of course, Patrick Line and Jack Roslevic. Jacob Truba was a big one before that. Uh, Evander Kane is another one. So, um, on, And if Pierre-Luc Dubois, who already has a history of wanting to leave teams, I'm not sure how long I see him sticking here. I know that's kind of just speculation. But you look at that last game in Columbus, you look at that last shift, and you see this player who, like, as soon as he gets disinterested, he's just going to totally mail it in. And honestly, that maybe, even though I was getting excited about, oh, is he going to come to Montreal a little bit, uh, that kind of made me go, hmm. Not sure if this is this is actually the type of player that that I want. Just because what's he gonna do? He's gonna show up after mailing it in in Columbus for the past week and be like, "Here I am. Time for me to be happy now and be satisfied with my new team." As a very as off vibe that I think it kind of I don't know, maybe throw a dressing room off. I don't. I know maybe we don't love to speculate about like dressing room and and culture and whatnot, but like you see that on the ice, that terrible shift and getting benched just because he wants out. And now he goes to Winnipeg, uh, where you know a lot of players tend to want out from. I'm not sure I see it working out there long term uh, at all. Maybe that he doesn't have to be the number one center there with Shifley. Maybe that'll I don't know help him out a bit. Maybe it'll work out great. I don't know. But I feel like on both sides of this trade, uh, it was it's kind of like an I'll trade my problem for your problem and see if I can fix your problem. And neither side is really a. Uh, a perfect fit with a perfect player on the perfect team. Yeah, I just think it's a better on-the-ice fit, and absolutely. I think it's absolutely a concern uh, for Dubois because, uh, yeah, I mean, we you're absolutely right. We've seen it before in Winnipeg. Things go south, and players want out, and if you have a history of this kind of bullshit and then pulling it out, like, in the middle of a game, uh, I'd be very worried, too. You know, as a Habs fan, I don't want, I don't like, as, as much as, you know, getting a player like Dubois would be great, I didn't think the trade was there. Uh, you trade. You don't want to trade any of those three players, uh, whether it's Suzuki, Kakaniemi, or uh, who else were they asking for? Uh, I think Romanov is anyway. probably in the. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, the third guy. Uh, I think all three of those guys are untouchable uh, because, uh, frankly, none of them have character concerns as Dubois does, which you know kind of put it on himself by playing so poorly in that shift, and and really not just that shift. Those last couple of games, he was completely awful, and he got appropriately benched. So uh, you know, look. Uh, I agree. It's uh, character-wise, you're just trading problems. But I just think there's a better likelihood of success on the ice and even off the ice in Winnipeg uh, because uh, I just think Torts creates a toxic environment, both like hockey style-wise for like offensive talents, and also he just seems like a total asshole. So uh, you know, I just think there's a better likelihood of uh, Winnipeg working out in Winnipeg. But I mean, if, if if both of them fall to shit, like would I be completely shocked? Absolutely not. Uh, if they're both on their way out at the end of both of their contracts, like, would I be surprised? No. What if they get traded for each other again? <laughs> like, swap swap problems back because maybe they've changed their minds because they still won't have any like trade leverage or anything when their contracts yep. are up. Well, mm-hmm. actually, Alina I think is ends this year and he's in RFA, and Dubois just signed his two year deal, so they won't be up at the same time. But uh, but anyway, fun thought. Um, let's. You know what this trade reminds me of is the Johansson for Jones trade. Uh, Columbus trading their their top-line center, but is he really a top-line center? Not quite sure. 
uh, in exchange for another player, another high draft pick, uh, who then blossomed into a superstar, and Columbus won the deal uh, straight up. Uh, Johansson obviously is more of like a, a low-end second liner, I think a lot of people would say, whereas Seth Jones blossomed into the number one defenseman that he was more or less expected to be. And I think we could see something very similar happen here with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Maybe, you know, this is about as good as he is, and he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't really improve into a, a superstar player. Meanwhile, Patrick Laine is all that he's cracked up to be, and he scores 35 to 40 goals on a regular basis. I think that's very much possible, even though, Right after both trades, after the Johansson trade, you're looking at it going, "Why you're trading your top line center kind of leaves a big hole in your lineup." Now you have like Boone Jenner on the as top line center, and we see the same thing here. Like is like Max Domi now the number one center in Columbus, but I think it could still end up working out very nicely for them if they if they do manage to somehow find another way to fill that hole. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be on the Jack Eichel's trade list or something. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but then again, you know, that's the thing with torts and star talent. It just doesn't really work out, right? Players don't want to go there. It's a small market, too. It's just, you know, just like it's, they don't have the star attraction power. Who knows? Yeah, and uh, that's funny, though. Max Domi, who also isn't in Tortorella's good graces, apparently, uh, as their first line center, basically, at this point. So, uh, like, the center depth is a complete black hole, I think, in Columbus. And, you know, I think you're higher than online than, than I am. Uh, I think he still has significant problems. Uh, like the two-way game, just like, no, it's there's nothing there. He doesn't play defensively at all. Uh, and I understand the goal scoring, obviously, extremely important. That's the whole point of playing hockey. And uh, he's damn good at it. But even then, he's streaky, right? He has streaks where uh, he looks like fucking Alex Ovechkin out there. And then he has other times where he, contrib- he contributes nothing. If he, if he doesn't score, if he goes on a drought, he doesn't do anything anymore for you. So, uh, you know, I think they both have very good potential. Is there potential for Line A to blossom in Columbus? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, the Johansson-Jones comparable, like, uh, you know, I think I think Line A is, has maybe a touch more concern than, uh, I think Jones was a better prospect at the time of the trade. Maybe, maybe. Um, so I'm looking at the Blue Jackets' lines now. They don't have Line A or Roslovic in yet because Line A is injured and, and Roslovic has to quarantine, says COVID protocol next to him. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna project for a second. All right. So I think the, the Blue Jackets are already pretty rich in right wingers, uh, compared to their other forward positions, uh, with Cam Atkinson, Oliver Bjorkstrand. I think they might try Patrick Line out on the left. You might see like Line A Domi Atkinson as your top line, followed by like Felino, Texier, and Bjorkstrand. Then we would have, uh, like Liam Foody, Boone Jenner, and Jack Roslovic. Uh, with a fourth line of like Eric Robinson, Mikhail Grigorenko, and Riley Nash. Any thoughts about that? Like, there's there's very little depth there. Uh, and yeah, did you say Borkstrand was on the third line? Second like, line. Second line, okay. All right. Uh, I, I'm looking at the daily faceoff line combinations right now. And obviously, uh, but they've got like fucking Kevin Stenland on there. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, sure. And so, you know, it's, uh, look, it's concerning. It's concerning to say the least. The center depth, as I just said, is uh, bad to say the least. And where are they in the standings right now? I know it's early, but uh, what's that looking like in the central? Uh, I think Columbus has actually been not bad at all. Uh, they beat the Lightning yesterday. Oh, okay. second. They're second. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're but doing they played, okay. Yeah, but they've played a whole bunch more games than everybody else. Actually, they've played six okay. games. And, uh, like, Lightning have played four, Preds have played four, Hurricanes have played three, Panthers have played two. 
uh, and everybody's within two points of them. So points percentage you know, right now, Columbus is tied for fifth in the division. Uh, they're two two okay. and two. Uh, so, so maybe not so hot. Yeah, so maybe not so hot <laughs> after all. Um, yeah, that's the story there. Uh, well, well, Florida's actually, if we're going by points percentage, tied with Dallas tops in that division since Florida's two and zero, and Dallas is one and zero after winning their first game seven nothing. So good for them. Um, Jets lines after this. Uh, or I guess we'll finish with this since we went to the Blue Jackets lines. Kind of just projecting here. Now they've got Dubois, Connor, Shifley, Wheeler probably sticks together. Cop, Dubois, and Ehlers as the second line. Third line we got Jansen, Harkins, Paul Stasny, and Matthew Perot. Then Nate Thompson, Adam Lowry, and and Trevor Lewis. Maybe like Appleton will come in there. Maybe Vesselinen. Okay. Uh. Well, thoughts on this one? Well, uh, you know. Kind of like the uh, the Canucks in that they're quite a top heavy team, uh, without the cap problems and uh, obviously the problem with this defense, this de- the team is the defense, right? And this does nothing to address that. But you know, it doesn't change much. I think they lose a depth piece in Roslovic, uh, and uh, you know, they uh, what what more is there to say? Well, they have some problems with some goal scoring. I don't think so. Uh, I think you got guys all over the top six. Who can do plenty with that on the wing? You got Connor, you got Ehlers, uh, two young guys. I think they'll, I think, look, um, now that they have that one two center punch, I think Stastny goes on the third line. I think that's very good. They can compete with, uh, you know, in terms of center depth. And, uh, you know, does it make such a huge difference? Not really. Am I higher on the Jets now? Not really either. I think they're, uh, I think they're firmly the fourth best team at this point in the division. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you on that. So, uh, super fun, super fun talking about big blockbuster trades. Uh, oh, yeah. it's kind of maybe when the, when like the fit is kind of weird to see on both teams. Maybe not quite as much. Uh, but but I, I guess uh, the on the on uh, on paper fit for Winnipeg is very good, as you kind of say. That second line center is something they've been really looking after for for a long time. Uh, Brian Little and now Paul Stasny maybe didn't quite get the job done as they had hoped. So. Do we now want to talk about Pierre Lebrun's controversial article on The Athletic about former NHL coach Mike Babcock? Okay, sure. Let's get into it. All right, let's get into it. So uh, if you hadn't read it, uh, you probably at least heard about it. I'm not going to read it or anything. But basically, Pierre Lebrun sat down with Mike Babcock. I, I, I don't know if it was like over Zoom. I would assume that it was. Uh, and Pierre Lebrun talked to him about all the stories that the public has learned about him. Uh, since he was fired by the Leafs over a year ago now. Um, They focused on two main ones. The first was the Mitch Marner one. And that one people didn't have so much of a problem with. The second one was the Johan Franzen one that really upset a lot of people. I'll start with the Marner one. So the story that that we had all kind of heard about was in Mitch Marner's rookie season when he was 19 years old, uh, Babcock, I don't know, was talking to him, called him into the office or something. And he asked Mitch Marner, to rank the players on the team by like work ethic, how hard they work or something like that. And apparently Babcock had told Mitch it was going to like be anonymous or whatever. And then Babcock just like showed it to the whole team. Uh, from Babcock's perspective, that isn't what happened exactly. What happened is like he asked Mitch to do something and then kind of slipped up and showed Bozak, well, look, here's how Mitch did it or here's how Mitch ranked it or something. And Babcock apparently right away realized he'd made a mistake and he told Mitch he made a mistake and, uh, and kind of owned up to it. And it was like, okay, 
you know, compared to some other things that Mike Babcock has reportedly done, this is nowhere near the top of the list. So I, I honestly think, like, if we really want to people to take maybe Mike Babcock should never coach again seriously, maybe the Mitch Marner list story is something we should probably stop centering. And we should focus more on things like what happened to Johan Franzen. Because basically, Johan Franzen... Uh, he, I think this was around 2011, 2012. He had had a couple of concussions, and uh, he says that Franzen says that Babcock always, you know, picked on just like went after people for no reason, and not even just players. Like, uh, I don't, did you see like arena employees or something like that? I don't know. It's it's totally ridiculous. And as like quieter players uh, started leaving Detroit. Uh, can't imagine why uh, Babcock started picking on France and France and more and more. And this isn't just like, you know, picking on like the, like the words I'm using, but like Johan France and said, this was the big one that I think during a playoff series against Nashville in 2012, he had like a panic attack on the bench because Mike Babcock just would, I don't know, say terrible things, never stop yelling at him. And Johan Franzen was like, he had nightmares. He was afraid to show up to the rink. He had to go to like a, a PTSD support group. So this, this is very serious. And Mike Babcock, um, I, I, I don't think he showed remorse as much as he was like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because what he, what he said was like, oh, you know, I'm a big advocate for mental health. So when I see uh, him say that about me, it hurts. When, when that is the entirely wrong angle to take. So I, I've been talking for a couple minutes now. I still have a couple more thoughts, but I'll let you take it away. Yeah, sure. And it's clear that... Bob uh, Babcock is uh he's he's bringing in a toxic work environment. That's what it is in the end, right? Uh, a toxic work environment for these players, and apparently for all these uh all the people around him that work for the team. Uh, and you come into work and you're miserable, and obviously that that kind of that accumulates. And I think yeah, his response is wrong. Uh, I brief I just briefly skimmed it just now. Uh, and it's just there's you're absolutely right. There's not much remorse. There's not a lot of apologizing to friends and. It was. It really seemed like uh, like the focus was I was hurt. Uh, Babcock was saying, you know, I was hurt to see this. I was hurt to hear this. Uh, it hurt to, and it hurt. It hurt, and it was, you know, it just, yeah, it really didn't. It didn't seem like he was apologizing or showed any sort of remorse or uh, acknowledged that he did create that kind of toxic work uh, atmosphere. And you know, that's why if you wanted, if at one point we're uh, like uh, the, the hockey communities to come to a conclusion that okay, maybe we should uh, give him another shot. I think you need to see the receipts. I think you need to see uh, genuine remorse and uh, a will to to change and to stop, you know, bringing in such a toxic work environment. And I don't think he showed that. I don't think he's shown that in the article. I don't think he's shown that in general. So, uh, you know, clearly he needs to do uh, a bit more uh, introspection uh, while he's uh, currently out of a job. Well, actually, no, he works for NBCSN. Uh, so oh, while yeah, he's on TV. Uh-huh. Uh, there's another aspect to this, uh, which is the guy who actually wrote the article, Pierre Lebrun. People were kind of going after him as well, uh, because did you really have to do this? It really kind of seemed like it tried to be a PR piece for Babcock. It was the kind of thing like where Babcock's trying to kind of repair his image a little bit. And a lot of people left comments, including me, saying things like, this is in poor taste. Uh, Babcock's story is not what we should be centering, or his hurt feelings. And other people kind of countered with like, well, Pierre Lebrun, he's not making any commentary commentary on it in the article. It's mostly just quotes. He's not saying like, as you can see, Mike Babcock has vastly improved. He doesn't do any of that. He's kind of just presenting you the things he says. So I guess you can kind of defend it in that way. And we can 
make our the judgment for ourselves on whether or not like should Mike Babcock get the chance or even be allowed to get the chance to coach in the NHL again. Um, here's the thing: is that even if 30 GM or I guess 31 GMs in the NHL decide no, one could decide yes, and then it's all over. But I would not even consider hiring Mike Babcock after this. And I think nobody should even consider hiring Mike Babcock unless he actually said, I see what I have done wrong in the past. And if I'm given the chance to coach again, I will change and I'll do it differently. And even then, I probably wouldn't want to hire Mike Babcock because he doesn't have the greatest track record at all when I could, you know, hire someone else. Uh, But for him to even be considered or for me to not frown upon a team who's considering him, he would have to do that. And he didn't do any of that. He just said, oh, yeah, the Mitch story wasn't as bad as everyone thought. And oh, yeah, the Franzen story. uh, Yeah, I feel really sad about that. So he barely said anything of any of any substance. So I hope that no NHL team looks into hiring him. Yeah. And and that's just on like a team success standpoint, too. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to hire this guy if you for a guy you know who has now at this point quite a poor reputation among the league, right? And I assume so among the players since he's uh, traumatized a few of them. So uh, you know, if you want to attract free agents, uh, if you want to keep your players happy, having a guy who has a reputation for being a, an asshole dictator uh, certainly doesn't help that. So that doesn't make sense on that front. And uh, you know, for Pierre LeBron, like, okay. It kind of like even by not saying anything, I mean, I by not framing it in any sort of way and giving him that platform to say whatever the hell he wants. I mean, like that's that's kind of a fluff piece in its on its own right, right? Uh, even if he doesn't give that positive commentary, because he just kind of interviewed him, let him say his piece, didn't really ch- challenge him on anything, right? Uh, and that's what you'd kind of like to see for a guy who you know all that crap, uh, all that stuff came out about him. Uh, you'd like to see him challenged on some of those views, see if he actually has. You know, any sort of remorse about it, but LeBron kind of failed to do that, and that's what I got a problem with, right? Uh, even if you don't give any sort of commentary, you're kind of giving commentary in that way by not saying anything, by just giving him the platform to say whatever the hell he wants. So, uh, yeah, you know, I even by even nice by not saying it, yeah, it would have been super nice to see him ask like, "Would you have done anything differently?" Uh, especially as it pertains to the friends and situation because i don't think he really asked anything like that and i don't think i think he was just more like oh i'm sorry that franzen felt that way in response to my tactics and the fact that pierre didn't really ask like so do you regret doing what you did uh that would that's the kind of question that i think would have actually made for a much more effective and you know less refuted read was something that actually you know put babcock to the test a little bit yeah absolutely okay anything else you want to add on this uh no, I think we can kind of leave it there for now. Um, I'm very glad that we don't have to see Mike Babcock on NBCSN, even though I assume I will see some clips on the Twitter feed. Uh, I don't expect he's going to be very good at it. I don't expect he's going to last long, uh, just because he doesn't give off of that uh, that vibe at all. And people don't like him for the most part. People don't really like him, so I don't think we're going to see much of him. I don't think he's going to have a, a luxurious broadcasting career from this point onward. Anyway, no. One more thing. Okay. Within Washington Capitals, and they've got four key players missing four games now for breaking the NHL's COVID protocol by hanging out in a hotel room altogether. It's Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Orlov, and Samsonov. So the Cavs have had a pretty good start, but now a little bit of a, a test. I think, sorry, have these players already sat out uh, at least one game, I think, if not two? I uh, haven't really been up to date with that. But anyway, um, Ovechkin's wife got all up in arms on Instagram 
about how awful it was and how it makes no sense that that these four players are all you know getting having them to isolate for a week or whatever it is uh just for hanging out in a hotel room when it's like oh but supermarkets and and going out and at the rink and all these other things and here's the thing with that is if you wanted to complain about the rules you should have done it before you broke them uh because now after you've already broken the rules it's the wrong time and i don't think any of those four players have really come out and said anything about it but you know, you know what it reminded me of you know what it reminded me of because uh, the nhl is like these are our rules you as players on our on our time when you're representing our league can't you know hang out in hotel rooms and such it reminded me of uh when our high school royal west academy said when you're wearing our uniform in this neighborhood you have to represent us with dignity and respect and no horseplay shall or whatever the hell shall be allowed because you represent our facilities reminded me of that but like once you you know change clothes you can more or less uh do whatever you want to to a within reason yeah but you know the rules are rules there, there, like exactly. You're right. If you want, if you have a, if you have beef with the rules, you got to complain before you fucking break them, right? Uh, you know, raise raise a whole cacophony then. But now it's like it's too late. You broke them, and you know, from a public health standpoint, it's kind of dumb too, right? Uh, you want to limit all non-essential contact. Like you're telling me that she's complaining about fucking grocery stores when that's two completely different things: hanging out in a hotel room in a global pandemic, or you know, buying food. Um, it just yeah, that well, you're probably wearing a mask at a grocery store as well. Exactly. And following and, uh, protocols. Yeah, and it's not—it's not like the NHL is headhunting for these these dudes either. Uh, ooh, because they're Russian or whatever. Uh, this was this was because there were fucking contact tracing, um, because somebody tested positive, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, there is an ab- absolutely there's a risk of one of these guys had it, and if uh, and they spread it to their teammates if they did. Right. Uh, by, you know, visiting each other in a hotel room. It's all just kind of very stupid. And like, uh, like, I don't get it. Like, 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 why would you do this? And there's clearly like it's a fucking contagious disease, man. Like, what, you just got to stay away uh, and yeah. like, don't hang out with your coworkers. Like, well, what more is there to say? Especially when you're being like, uh, you know, they know where you're going. They're being contact traced. If there's a positive case, it just makes no sense to me. Uh, like, well, I can stick to FaceTime or whatever, man. Yeah, I I hope this is, it was kind of a wake up call for anyone who still needed it in the rest of the league, because uh, I I really don't want to see the too many cases. I hate seeing cases like oh this new team has to postpone their game. It's just like it gets me into a bad mood for a little while. So I hope we see as little of that as possible. Really do. Anyway, um, you had the idea of like bringing back our our standing segment. Uh, maybe it's a touch early for that. Maybe next week I think we'll probably you know look through them a little closer. But I do want to say that Dom Lecision's model, uh, which is one of the most revered and respected across, you know, hockey analytics, now projects Montreal to win the North Division, uh, which is very nice and super cool. Uh, By points percentage, they're tied with Calgary, but they have played six games and Calgary has played three. So I think it's totally fair to say Montreal is the rightful holder a first place in the North division as we speak, which is very nice to see followed by just by points, Winnipeg, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and in last place, the lowly Ottawa senators. Yeah. And, uh, this team hasn't lost the regulation yet. It's just, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Uh, like this team's looking good. I want to watch every single game. I can't say uh, that was the truth last season, uh, near the end there. It's, uh, 
It's fantastic. Everything's clicking. We haven't even talked about the special teams yet this year. Uh, that's what we click it on both fronts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's great. And this team is deservedly, uh, you know, projected to be first. Let's go. Not only is Montreal first in the division, but they are actually first in the entire league right now. The first team to hit wow. 10 points. President's Trophy incoming? Who knows? They also lead in goal oh, differential, yeah. plus 11, first in the entire NHL. They are simply on fire. Yep. Uh, and, like, uh, yeah, what is this team in hot starts? This team, like, uh, even in past years, you know? Uh, like, uh, how many years is it where they won like ten straight games to start the season? Yeah, in the in the fifteen sixteen season, they started nine and zero before falling off a cliff and drafting ninth overall. Uh, the year after that, they started nine zero and one, um, and then they uh, well they stayed first in the division, but they did slow down as the season went on and lost to the Rangers in round one. So hopefully, uh, there's no epic collapse this season. I'm pretty confident there won't be. I feel like I feel like I have a lot more confidence in this team than I can remember having in a long time. So so that's how I feel. Yeah. No collapse. Yeah, that's I my bold the... prediction. Crazy. And uh, I look at the I really do think man, I think the Habs benefit from the division. I don't, I don't know how many times I've said that this season already, but man, this division helps them so much. Like you look at like most of these teams, like uh import like yeah, really, like the bottom three teams right now—the Oilers, Canucks, the Senators. Uh, especially the fact that they've played both, uh, like two of those teams already repeatedly. Uh, you look at them and you think he, the Habs, like I don't see a collapse coming where they can't handle the business against these three teams, right? Uh, and so, yeah. uh, you know what? I'm calling it right now. They're, they're gonna, they're gonna make. They, I think they've cl- they practically clinched a playoff spot now. Uh, is okay, it okay, yeah. we can chill. But, uh, on I'm that. saying, I'm saying it right now. All right, there is no way. I see them dipping. I don't see the Oilers passing them ever. I don't see the Canucks passing them ever. I don't see. I sure as hell don't see the Senators passing them ever. And that leaves them in, at worst in fourth place. So uh, you know, I'm calling it as they do in elections. Uh, the Habs have made the playoffs. Everybody, <laughs> six games into the season, find the parade, the playoff parade. Exactly. Actually, no, exactly. a parade in your own house over Zoom, everyone. All right. Uh, that's a uh, quite the bold statement, but you know, there's a good chance you're going to be right. I right. uh, you know it's like um. Is this like in the 2017 playoffs, the Anaheim-Edmonton Game 7, when I kept saying, like, I am 100% certain Anaheim's going to win. There's literally no way the Oilers win. And you kept on getting mad and like, well, you can't be 100% sure. And I was like, no, I am 100% sure. And I was because the Ducks won a 2-1 victory. Yep, it's exactly like that. I am 100% sure. Although although this take is maybe, I think your take was, uh, was slightly hotter than this one, uh, given the circumstances, uh, because you were calling just one game. I'm ready to call it. The Hazard are making the playoffs. It is 100% certainty. No way they miss it. That's right. right. Cool. If you say so. If you say so. I definitely hope you're correct. And I, I think you will be. Uh, before we go, we, we don't have a guess who this week because uh, there was quite a bit to talk about on the table, as you can probably tell. I think maybe with only two Habs games this week, we'll probably have the guess who next week. But before we go, I do have one more thing that I want to do. Uh, and it is to talk about my fantasy team, Cold Caulfield Stuffed Animals. Uh, we're having a great week. It was a it was a shaky start. Opened the opened the season with a big fat L in week one, but we bounced back in a big way now. Um, I am uh, crushing Gritty's Grinders. Is the name of my opponent. I've got 182 fantasy points uh, to Gritty's Grinders 110.85. And compared to around the league, I am in uh, where am I fourth? fourth out of the 12 teams this week which doesn't isn't relevant to the standings but it gives you an idea of how great i am and a big part of that 
was my shrewd deal, my excellent trade that I made, trading away Nikolai Ehlers in exchange for Bo Horvat, another blockbuster that happened this week. And uh, I, I proposed it, and I was pleasantly surprised that it was accepted. And Bo Horvat absolutely lit it up this week against the Habs. And the fact that he scored and Montreal still managed to win most of the games was pretty much the ideal situation for me and my fantasy team. And I expect Bo Horvat's going to continue tearing it up uh, and uh, because... You know, I'm such a genius. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I'll talk briefly about my beef I've got this week. It looks like I'm about to take a an L. Uh, looking, at, you know, heading into the Sunday matchup, and uh, I'm losing by like 30 points. And uh, I blame it on one guy, one guy only. Uh, I didn't have a bad week at all. Uh, but uh, Tyler Toffoli certainly didn't have a bad week. I'm playing the guy who owns him. So uh, this this one's on Tyler. But I'm certainly not complaining, given what he did for the Habs. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm torn on that one, but I'm leaning towards Happy because, uh, you know, you love to see it. But uh, that's the, the the main reason why I took an L this week against the uh, absolute studs, who uh, one of the top scorers this week, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and before we go, I'm going to propose a trade to you and your fantasy team, which is called Jack Johnson, live on air. Uh, I'll give you uh, my recently picked up Ryan Pullock in exchange for uh, Roman Yossi. What do you say? Uh, I'm gonna have to think about it. I'll get back to you on the the next episode of uh, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Okay, that's what we call a tease. Uh, next time on Fusion and Hockey Podcast, we will find out whether Taisei accepts or rejects the Pollock for Yossi trade offer. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handles are in the description. And you can tell everyone in the entire world about our podcast so that we hit 7.8 billion listens because everyone will listen to it at least once. Thank you very much.